0: This has been a lot of a bit of melancholy for me today. As I said to Scott earlier, uh, 1982, I came into a little old brickworks here, and um, I couldn't get over the love of the people and the scriptures being taught. They were the two things. I went home to my wife and I said, "I've found a church," and uh, we started attending. And then uh, the senior pastor, Lionel Rose, made a mistake about 18 months later and he said, I want you to be in our pastoral team. And I laughed. Uh, but God showed me through a whole lot of things. That's where he wanted me. Uh, this property has changed so much and I see you've got a little shack up the back for someone to live in. That's great, that wasn't there. And I remember when that brick building was built Built up there in 1984, I think it was, and uh, it was the first Wesleyan church that had been built, the the building in Queensland. I mean, we just lived in old secondhand stuff, and that was brand new, and that was such groundbreaking stuff for us, and uh, you go up there now, and it's so small compared to (laughs) what you see around the place, but back then, we just thought it was marvellous. Enough of that. (coughs) I want to applaud those who stood here. That was marvellous. That was good for us oldies, uh, to hear that. And uh, camp is a great time, thanks to the leaders and anyone that died, did Tai Chi, was it? Scott <laughs> oh, Chi with Tai Chi. <laughs> that, I, I'm taking that one back with me to Toowoomba. Uh, we've got a lot of graves we can bury it in. Um, the... Camps are times where you can get away. None of this is a sermon, by the way. Camps are times when you can get away from life, living and busyness and sit back and think. You can have a lot of fun, but it's opportunity to think. And I went on one when I was nine. I heard the gospel and responded. I went on another one when I was 18 and thought, I need to give my life fully to God. He needs to be my president, not resident. And uh, that changed me significantly. Uh, young people, I can only encourage you, keep going forward. That's probably a lot of what this message is all about. i better get into that. So here we go. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians this morning, and particularly chapter 3, but I'll, I want to give you a bit of an overview because Philippians is a really warm, it's a really encouraging, a very affirming letter. It's only 104 verses, and Paul wrote it to a, a generous, uh, generous church, a very caring church, uh, most of whom were pretty young in their faith. He, he first came to them about 10 years before that, preached to them, got a church started. And now he writes this letter to them. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. If you want to look at some key words in the book of Philippians, there's three that stand out. Gee, that's good, Dave. It's cold. <laughs> the first is joy. Joy. Every chapter, he talks about joy. Uh, the second one is rejoice. The third one is Christ. Christ is a biggie for him. Uh, it's a, quite a unique book, the book of Philippians. There's no major problem passages. In Philippians. Uh, as I said earlier, that word joy, it's found in every chapter. There's not one quote from the Old Testament in the whole book of Philippians. That's especially unusual for Paul when he writes a letter. And Jesus Christ is mentioned over 40 times. Now, There's only 104 verses and Jesus Christ is mentioned over 40 times. It's the most positive of all of Paul's letters and yet, it was written while he was imprisoned. It's uh, You could call Philippians the joy of the journey. Chapter 1, there's joy in living. Uh, chapter 2, there's joy in serving. Chapter 3, there's joy in knowing. Chapter 4, there's joy in resting. We're going to be looking at chapter 3. And uh, I don't know about you, when I go on a journey, I like to know where I'm going and... Uh, I just want to tell you, we're going to go through most of chapter 3 this morning. Uh, Paul's talking about knowing, knowing Christ. Uh, He's going to talk about his own example as a person, as a Christ follower. And then he's going to show us a plan that we can join with him in this joy of knowing Christ. Let's pray. Now, Father, you are our God. This is your word. We don't want a fog in our brain this morning. We want to hear from the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we ask that you would clear our minds to be receptive to what he has to say to us. And equally with that, a big thank you that we have the scriptures and it's so available to us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, moving forward together, the priceless value of knowing Christ. Let's dive straight into chapter 3, verse 1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. See, there's Paul right from the very beginning. He's carrying on with this common theme throughout the book, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Now this part is actually belonging to verses 2 and 3 and Paul's referring here to a group of Judaizers, a basic lesson which Paul, as their teacher, had gone over with them many times. He didn't get tired of telling them these things and he he kept telling them because he wanted to safeguard their faith. Don't let Christianity be debased into some form of Jewish ritualistic religion. That's really what he's saying. Even that sounds a mouthful. But have a look at how Paul describes these guys. Three ways. Verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. He was quite an upset person because he could see that these Judaizers were taking followers of Christ and trying to add to their salvation, trying to add to their discipleship. Verse 3, here's why. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Let's stop here for a moment. The Judaizers taught that circumcision was necessary for salvation. But it's the circumcision of the heart that's what's important. It's not a physical circumcision. It's a spiritual circumcision. Nothing more and nothing less. It's all about Christ and his finished work that he did for us on the cross. That's what changes everything. It was Christ, and it was a finished work. Didn't have to add to it. Paul then looks at his own example. He says, Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if I could, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And he reflected on the whole course of his life, which gave him the right to criticize false Judaism. Have a look at this. Off he goes, verse five. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience of the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Not a bad record. William Barclay wrote a book, The Mind of St. Paul. And if ever there was a Jew who was steeped in Judaism, that Jew was the Apostle Paul. Let's have a look at the claims that he made. And I just like the way Barclay puts this. So we're going to go through it all again through his eyes. He was circumcised on the eighth day. That is to say, he bore in the body the badge and the mark that he was one of the chosen people, marked out by God as his own. He was of the race of Israel. That is to say, he was a member of the nation who stood in a covenant relationship with God, a relationship in which no other people stood. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. What's the point of this claim? Firstly, the tribe of Benjamin had a unique place in the history of Israel. It was from Benjamin that the first king of Israel had come, for King Saul was a Benjamite. Uh, secondly, Benjamin was the only one of the patriarchs who had actually been born in the land of promise. When Israel went into battle, it was the tribe of Benjamin which held the post of honour. The battle cry of Israel was, After thee, O Benjamin! In lineage, Paul was not only an Israelite, he was of the aristocracy of Israel. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That is to say, Paul was not one of these Jews of the dispersion. Oh, no, no, no. These Jews in a foreign land, they'd forgotten their own tongue. Paul was a Jew who still remembered and knew the language of his fathers. He was a Pharisee. That is to say, he was not only a devout Jew... He was more. He was one of the separated ones who had forsworn all normal activities in order to dedicate life to the keeping of the law. And he'd kept it with such meticulous care that in the keeping of it, he was blameless. Now that's quite a boast. But it's really all a lead up to Paul's main point. Have a look at our next verse. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless. Now, I'm just going to stop this for a moment, let's see. Now, um, I'll keep going on that part. Everything else is worse, worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, for Christ's sake, Paul says, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. All that stuff that we read, he counted it as garbage. Now, that's Greek. The real word there, you could say horse manure. Or Scott, no, no, sorry, horse manure. We'll stick with horse manure. There you go, Scott, I won't give you a hard time. Now, what value is horse manure? Well, it's good for fertilizer, but that's about it. If I gave you a bag of horse manure what, and you had no gardens or lawn, what, what would you think of me? Because it's pretty worthless. It's all the, the waste from the, the grass that, that, that horse has eaten. Paul looks back at his life and the things that he thought were so important compared to Christ it's just all horse manure. He said, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. That's what I want and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. That's how you do it. In God's way of making us right with Himself, it depends on faith. He, he contrasts work righteousness with faith righteousness. The do, I've got to do, do, do this to be right, to look good, to be you know acceptable. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's done by faith. It's all been done for you. It's a finished work. I have done it. Trust me. Verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. That's the conviction, that's the determination of a changed man. He was a devout Pharisee who persecuted and killed Christians. (laughs) He thrown that all away to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul takes the reader further from simply knowing Christ, we'll see in a moment his path, to that of pressing on toward the goal. Verse 12, people. So let's have a look pressing toward the goal. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all these things, that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. That all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, he writes. But we must hold on to the progress that we've already made. Let's find out more about what it means to press on toward the prize of becoming like Christ. And uh, Paul gives us five things. I'm going to try and race through those five because I want to be finished by two o'clock. Uh, he said there were five things that were important. Put the gun away, man. Um, and, and let me just say here, I want to acknowledge uh, so much of what I use, I, I get from Pastor Chuck Swindoll. I find him an amazing teacher of the Scriptures, uh, and so I've—I I've, was going to say I've stolen. I haven't stolen. I've borrowed. I borrowed. Uh, the first point is the the plan is progress, not perfection. He writes in the first part of verse twelve and thirteen, "I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. I have not achieved it." Not with one, but with two admissions about his own imperfections. The Apostle makes it very clear that it is a progress that works as a plan for living, not perfection. Making progress, pressing on, it's not always easy, however. When you come back from camp, don't be surprised if you don't live perfectly. If you stumble The important thing is to keep pressing on, pressing on. It can be painful, it can be disappointing at times because of the imperfections that we live with as humans. We're not perfect people. But listen to this next part. Not only are we imperfect, but everyone around us is also imperfect and we cannot escape our own fallible humanity in a fallen world. I'm worried that Gordon Kuss is going to take, uh, how would you put it? I'm talking about perfect, perfection positionally in Christ. We are perfect. <laughs> Relax on that. I'm not trying to get away from that. Some of us get so intense in our pursuit for godliness that we get frustrated and we get down in ourselves when we fail. That's when we most need to remember that the plan is progress, it is not perfection. Learn to press on in spite of a lack of perfection in your life. If you can see changes in your life compared to where you were a year ago, take heart, you're on the right road. So think back July 2020, how were you doing in life? Have you progressed? They can't. Uh, secondly, the past is over. Forget it. Forget it. Paul says, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. And Paul uses a Greek word for forgetting that means absolute and complete forgetting. In the ancient world, this term was used for a runner who would, who would pass another runner in the race. And once he was in front, the lead runner, he didn't look back. He just kept going to what lay be, to lay before him. He was after that tape. He wanted that laurel wreath, and he just kept going. Uh, if we're to press on towards the eternal tape that is in front of all of us, we've got to refuse to focus on yesterday, on looking back over our shoulders. I thought it was uh, was it Emma the first one, Emily. Just listening to her testimony was lovely. The others were all right too, don't get me wrong, but she paid me more. Um, <coughs> it's so easy to look, to look back. We can look back firstly at our own accomplishments and, and they can make us proud or they can also make us indifferent because we, we, we think we know uh, we're right for what lies ahead. We can also look back at our former mistakes. Ever made a mistake in life? (laughs) Looking back at our former mistakes arouses guilt and shame in our lives. It can weaken us for the courage that we're going to need for the upcoming challenges. And it can sidetrack us onto wrong paths. Let's not look back. Paul says, forget the past. Focus on the tape. The goal, Jesus Christ. No matter where you are today, in God's strength, you can put the past behind you and realign yourself with God's plan through and through and his purpose for your life. And number three is the future holds out hope. Reach for it. Reach for it. Paul writes, looking forward to what lies ahead. And I think he may have well held held, had in mind the Olympic chariot races and uh, the ancient Greece, Greeks there when when uh, Paul might have written this particular part here. Uh, those chariot races, the charioteer, he, he only had a little platform to stand on and he had to stand on this. He had to lean forward. He had to strain all his muscles to keep balance because he was trying to hold the reins. And in doing so, he would stretch himself To drive hard to win. So he's got this and he's kind of balancing with his other arm, etc. I can't do it because he didn't have to hold a microphone as he was doing the race. But anyway, that's how it is. I will do it. It's only a little platform. And he's got all these horses and he's got the reins, right? It's hard going. And he's got to keep this balance on this little platform. Some other turkey's trying to beat him. There's other people competing, and he's there like that. Lucky I'm fit, eh? I'll just horse him with you. Um, But that's the type of thing that Paul had in mind when he wrote this. The future holds out hope, looking forward at what lies ahead there. We have to stretch ourselves as we walk following christ don't sit back don't get calm about life reach towards the prize of the upward call of christ or of god in christ jesus now have i described you there are you making some form of deliberate progress in your life do you passionately pursue godliness being like christ I want you to remember that the Christian life it was never meant to be a peaceful alliance or a passive coexistence with enemy forces go back to what I did here there were people opposing all around the charioteer doesn't sit back and say oh yeah giddy up it's it's really a battle it's a battle and It's a passionate quest for us to be ever-stretching and reaching for the prize. Don't view yourselves simply as Christians. I I want you to change your mindset if that's what you're thinking. Cross out that word. Don't be a Christian. Be a Christ follower. That changes everything. There's quite a big difference there, particularly out in the world. The name Christian, it's, it's so bandied around. There's so much... It's such a wide spectrum. But a person who follows Christ, that's totally different focus. Because then you're saying, the the things that Christ saw as important, that's what I want in my life. And he's the person that I've chosen out of everybody else that's lived in history and that's living now. He's the person I've chosen to follow. That's... That's really staying on the race there. The future holds out hope. Reach for it. And number four, the secret is a determined maturity or attitude. Maintain it. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Verse 15, the first part there. That word mature, it also means complete. Uh, Stuart Briscoe, great preacher and commentator, he he says this about this verse. I am complete in the sense that I have grown as far as I can at the present and I'm ready for the next lesson. Isn't that beautiful? As far as I can at the present, that's how far I've grown, but now I'm ready for the next lesson. That defines a determined maturity or attitude. Would you be willing to ask the Lord, what's the next step? What more do you want in my life now for me? Are you willing to listen and to obey when he answers you? I'll never forget when Pastor Lionel asked me to join a pastoral team. I was selling diamonds at that time. I I wasn't a pastor. (laughs) And out of the blue, he asked me. I had to reset my thinking, take time aside and ask God, is this what you're asking of me? And it was, and it took my life on a whole different path. My wife married a businessman. She didn't marry a pastor. So I had to get rid of her and get in. No. <laughs> oh, thankfully and graciously, she stayed with me. By the way, just check out the last part of verse 15 there. If you disagree on some point, Paul says, I believe God will make it plain to you. And very graciously, Paul gives his, his listeners there the liberty to grow at their own pace. And I like that. We're all different and we can relax in God's ability to shape a person the way he wants. All those young people, each one that was lined up, they are all different. One poor girl, she had hair growing way down here. I used to date a girl who had hair growing halfway down her back. She had none on her head. It was just halfway down her back. But uh, all so different. This is the way to have hair, by the way. (laughs) No, it was beautiful, beautiful to see. But they're all different, and God uses them and will teach them how to grow deeper in Christ in their own way in his time. And that just brings me to that beautiful chorus. In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. And then he talks about the need to keep moving forward and to do that together, verse 16. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Now Paul has shifted his focus. Uh, Up until then, it's it's, I press on, I do this. And now he, he looks at all the believers and he says, let us press on in verses 15 and verse 16. Church... Living the Christ-following life is a mutual effort. It's not a solo mission. There's great comfort, there's great strength to be gained if we lock arms with those who are striving to keep the same high standard. I love when I walked onto this property this morning. It just looks magnificent. Now, I don't know anybody much here, but somebody has been mowing this place. Somebody has been cleaning it. Somebody does the dusting. Somebody straightens things out. Somebody does this, this and this and this. And that's only on this property. What are you doing during the week? There's so many things that are happening from this church. Keep locking your arms together. Keep going forward. It's a wonderful thing. I want to just race through the last few verses and I don't have overheads for this but just a few simple truths but important truths the need to follow an example here on earth verse 17 dear brothers and sisters pattern your life after mine learn from those who follow our example that's what Paul says Find somebody who can mentor you, somebody that you can look to that will take you closer to Christ, somebody that will help you in a practical way regarding Christ's likeness. Somebody that I looked at, that I've admired and has helped me through my pastoral side of life has been uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll that I mentioned earlier. I looked at him and... uh, I realised we have a similar personality. Now, he won't like to hear that, but but we're both a bit out there. He just keeps his well in control. But he's a man of integrity and he's a man who loves the word of God. And I thought, I need those things and I want to gain on that. So he's been an example for me to follow. Have someone in your life someone that uh, you can learn from. In the next few verses, Paul virtually says, we, we live among many who are enemies of the cross, but we're different. We're bound for heaven. We live among them, but we're bound for heaven. As I said, we're racing, and there's competitors and there's people who are trying to stop us from winning the race. But when we win, we're bound for heaven. Uh, I like the way put, virtually our citizenship is in heaven, but our residence is here on earth with many who are enemies of the cross. And this is how he writes it. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, so it meant a lot to him, that there are many whose conduct shows that we are really enemies of the cross of... They are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. And then comes but. Don't you love the buts in the scriptures? But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we eagerly await for him to return as our saviour. He will then take our weak mortal bodies. He will change them into glorious bodies just like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. And he finishes with verse 1 in chapter 4. It's all a part of this scripture here. The numbers, the numbers in the Bible are not inspired. Which makes me wonder about your name. (laughs) Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. There you go, everyone. Campers, young and old, stay true to the Lord. I love you. I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Well, I've got another hour and a half to go. But I won't. (laughs) As an old pastor used to say to me, uh, let's come into land. What has the Holy Spirit spoken to you about Today We asked him to speak to us. What area has that been? Um, can the muses just wait, just stand on the sides and wait for a moment? It won't be long. I put to you that the Lord Jesus Christ is worth giving your whole life over to. The rest of your life over to Jesus. He's worthy to lead, to guide you right to the winner's tape at the end. The end where you get to the winner's tape is only the beginning. Take heart with this 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor the mind imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We cannot understand it. That's what's beyond the tape. But this side of the tape, we're still in the race. How are you running with that? How are you going? Don't let the devil get you into guilt and shame. You may not be perfect, but are you pursuing? Are you going forward? Are you progressing? When you get home, write down what God's spoken to you about this morning, whatever it might be. Do an action plan on that for this week or for this month. It may require a whole change in your life's direction. You may have to stop selling diamonds and become a pastor. <laughs> Don't let the opportunity go by. I want to pray and then at the end of the prayer, the team will come and lead you in the next song. Our Father, we thank you that we still have your word and that it is still so relevant And that we have learned that you love us day and night. That you protect us. Thank you that there is a plan for our journey while we're on this earth. And thank you that you have an almighty plan for when we leave this earth. We rejoice in that. We're human, so I pray that you would help us. Help us as we walk through this life on this earth day by day. The things that you have spoken to us about, I pray you will fan them and grow them into great things. I come back to these young people, God. I know what you you did in my life from a camp. I pray that great fruit will come from their time at camp. Bless them in that. I think I I want to pray a blessing, God, for our musos. And just as they lead us now, minister to them, not only in the time here, but through this next week. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.